countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, good day, eh? This is the uh, Christmas part of our podcast. You can play this at your Christmas parties or for yourself on Christmas Eve if you got nothing else to do. Good day, eh? In case you thought, like, uh, I wasn't on this part. Oh, I, I guarantee you'd be on. So, uh, uh, good day. This is, again, our Christmas part. And we're going to tell you um, what to get for your true love for Christmas. Uh, look out the window. Where? <laughs> what you doing? It's snow, you hosehead. Oh, oh, that's because it's the last comic shop and, and it's snowing outside because it's Christmas time. Hey, 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 uh, hoser. What? Uh, here's a quiz. Uh, <laughs> quiz quiz for Chad. Okay, okay, I got my uh, thinking toucan. <laughs> yeah, right. What are the 12 days of Christmas? Because, um, figure it out, right? You got Christmas and that's when? Uh, 25th. Right. And then you've got the 24th, that's Christmas Eve, right? That's two. And then what do you got after that? Wrestling day. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Boxing day, okay. So that's three. And then what you got after that? No. New Year's. Oh, okay, that's four. New Year's Eve. Okay, that's five. Well, so where do you get 12? Well, there's uh, two Saturdays and Sundays in there, so that's four. Uh, so that's, uh, that's nine. And then three other days, which I believe are uh, mystery days. Ah, the mystery days. I think there's more to that. Maybe. I don't know. But anyways, this is The Last Comic Shop. Welcome back <laughs> to another week and our Christmas episode. Just for all you fans out there, Christmas is in the air and we're reading comic books, right? Yep, that's right. We've uh, scraped the ice off and are opening the shop up so we can help people under the comic book tent. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep the lights on for those oldies to help you guys level up by, you know, reading and talking about comic books. And I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And it is time to unwrap our Christmas Day special for you. And, and again, because Spider-Man is being delivered to all you folks out there on movie screens right now, we thought we would deliver to you a review about Spider-Man. More specifically... Spider-Man! Oh, yay! Because that's a thing, too, right? They've got lots <laughs> of Spider-Men. There's tons of them. There's Peter Parker and Miles Morales and sometimes Otto Octavius and sometimes Tobey Maguire and other times Andrew Garfield and, and Tom Holland. Who's got to be the first British. No, Andrew Garfield's British, too, right? There's two. Why is all the Brits playing Spider-Man? Does that make Spider-Man Captain Britain? There are lots of Spider-Men out there. Yeah. Isn't there one with, like, a mohawk? Like, a punk mohawk? Isn't he yeah, a member of the Spider-Universe? The punk Spider-Man? There are all sorts of Spider-Men. Every occasion, every size. There's a ham-based Spider-Man. And that's right. That's what we're covering on today's program. We're covering a book called Spider-Man. It's the first one. Chad, who did the Spider-Man book? So, Spider-Man came out initially in 2012 was written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Sarah Pacelli, colors by Justin Ponsor, and Corey Pettit did the letters. It kind of predates a lot of things, like uh, Miles Morales actually being in the 616. This is still when he was part of the Ultimate Universe that eventually got blown up in Secret Wars. Everybody died, <laughs> except for a couple people. I think he was the only one that survived, maybe a couple other folks. Well, him and his supporting cast, I still don't know how that worked. 
cool Nick Fury survive? Or we'll just call him MCU Nick Fury? Well, they actually brought in Nick Fury's son to become Nick Fury. And then they jettisoned old Nick Fury to replace the Watcher, who was killed and had his eyeball ripped out by uh, that eyeball guy. Yeah. It, it makes absolutely no sense. They should have just, like, done so much of that reset button. They tried with, like, the Secret Wars crossover. I don't know why they just didn't hit the reset button on that either. But anyways, ultimately, Miles Morales did give Molecule Man a cheeseburger, and therefore he was saved. Everybody else, <laughs> not so much. But this was before that. I don't know. How, how long after uh, the Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe died did this come out, Chad, do you think? Uh, Miles was still relatively fresh when this happened. He just showed up in August of 2011 and made his first appearance in Ultimate Fallout 4. So he had not been Spider-Man very long when this crossover happened. Yeah. And so speaking of this crossover, let's get to that 10 cents synopsis. And that comes from J.A. Scott this week. So, J.A., what happens in Spider-Man? I have so many questions. (laughs) (laughs) So... Mysterio sends Peter Parker into an alternate universe where Peter Parker is dead and the Spider-Man mantle has fallen to Miles Morales, sort of like Batman going to Robin. Miles Morales is young, very, very young, 13 years old in this. And then it's basically them teaming up against Mysterio to try to get Peter Parker back to his normal universe. That's where my questions begin. Because I haven't read Spider-Man in such a long time. When I was reading Spider-Man, Peter Parker was married to Mary Jane. Aunt May was alive. Gwen Stacy was dead. How much of that does not exist now? Or at least in 2012? That is a great question. 2007, there's a storyline called One More Day. Where Aunt May has been shot due to some machinations from the old kingpin there. And so Spider-Man. In order to save his sweet, dear, really, really old Aunt May, decides he's going to make a deal with the devil. And in exchange for Aunt May returning back to full health and whatever wellness she had, he and Mary Jane agreed to offer up their marriage, which then begat Brand New Day, where single Spider-Man is out there swinging around. And Mary Jane had been his girlfriend the entire time. Because that makes sense. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That was the status quo for a good long time. And then you also might not know about the ultimate universe and ultimate Spider-Man. It was pretty much Brian Michael Bendis deciding that he wanted to reboot the amazing Spider-Man mythology and start from square one. Be like, okay, all that continuity wonk stuff from the 90s, cut that out. We'll just start all over. We'll start fresh. Like with all the Ultimate books, they just started fresh and we were like, what happens if all these great ideas we had from Marvel didn't have any of that previous continuity weighing it down and we could just tell the stories with the best parts of the old stuff? So it's like Marvel's New 52? Basically, the big difference was it happened alongside with regular Marvel. And so those came out right along the the time of the the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And so they were trying to get a, a way for new readers to not have to worry about all that extra stuff. 
Right. But eventually, they had so much continuity built up in the Ultimates the universe that they needed to hit the reset button there, too. And so they killed that Peter Parker, and they brought in Miles. There's a new Spider-Man in that universe. And so this is really a first combination peanut butter and chocolate of the two Spider-Mens from these different universes. And I was going to say, too, this was also born out of another Spider-Man movie. Fast forward to when they were going to recast what eventually the role that went to Andrew Garfield. And Donald Glover had campaigned hard to be Spider-Man. And there was a big tizzy in the online world about a black Spider-Man. You can't have a black Spider-Man. And Bendis was like, why can't you have a black Spider-Man? So he killed Peter Parker and created half black, half Latino Spider-Man named Miles Morales. But that doesn't happen either unless you have all the controversy from the second round of Spider-Man films. Which 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 universe is Spider-Gwen from? That's like a whole different universe. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) But long story short, there's a lot of Spider-Mans. And eventually they tried to convalesce a lot of this stuff that was brought up in this Spider-Man series that we're reading now. I think if you read this one and then you watch Into the Spider-Verse, there's a lot of parallel. At least I thought. Yeah, I, no, I was loving it. it. It had that same vibe. And, and you know, I'll go on record. I think I've been on record maybe somewhere saying that Into the Spider-Verse was the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Oh, there you go. I, but, but it's close. But in any, any case... Uh, so your initial thoughts as somebody that hasn't read Spider-Man in a long time, you, and I know that you wanted to read this particular book this week because you're like, I haven't read anything with Miles. So what did you think? I thought it was fun. It was a fun book. It I didn't know all of Miles Morales's power set. Like the I, the whole Venom touch thing is really cool. I didn't know that he didn't have webs and he could just, and I does he cling to walls? Can he cling to walls or does he not have that either? He can cling to walls. He, he does it in the series whenever he's camouflaged at one point. And the, the whole camouflage power, too. Which is really cool. Yeah. What I really liked about the movie, and they didn't really get into it this one, was where they have sort of the spider sense link up. Where they, you know, like spider senses tingling. And they ah, all like a spider mind meld thing. Yeah, I like that in the movie, uh, and they didn't have that in the book. But it was fun. It was reminded me of, like, reading comics when I was a, a kid. And maybe Mysterio is good for this. It feels like he's a big, bad villain, and then you realize that he's just a mess-up. So there's not the world isn't at stake. It's not this overly dramatic, you know, X-Men-type storyline where if they don't do something, the entire world is going to implode. It's sort of like, oh, you know, they've got to figure out this question and send Spider-Man back to his own universe. And at the same time, beat up Mysterio. It kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that, like, Mysterio's whole plan in this. I I don't know. Did he have a plan to begin with? Like, he creates this dimensional rift, which is awesome. That's why I love Mysterio. But at the end of the day, he was like, I, I sent Peter Parker to some other universe. Ha, ha, ha. I'll just stand here and, and cackle. Wait for them to figure out which one of me to punch. <laughs> right. Yeah, his, his whole grand design was basically, I'm going to remove you from this universe and then everyone will miss you. And I'll put you in the other universe where they miss you. And now you'll be there so they don't miss you. Oh, no. (laughs) I just agree it wasn't a well-thought-out plan. Right. But I think that's – I won't lie. I've gone on record saying I didn't like Spider-Man 2. There's a a sequel to this, and I hated it. The art's good, but I don't know. I I didn't like it at all. And this one – this one's a little bit better. But it's ultimately the plot is just like, hey, how do we get two Spider-Mans together so that Peter Parker can say to Miles – yeah, you're okay. 
you're, I'm giving you my blessing to be Spider-Man. And, and, and that's important because at the time, like pe- there were some folks, and even today, that don't accept, you know, Miles as a legitimate Spider-Man. And I'm like, that's crazy. Everybody can be Spider-Man. And that's the best thing about Spider-Man is you wear the mask and, you you know, you can't see the face. You, anybody can be Spider-Man. I think it was really neat that they got to, to team up and everything. But really, it's just it's an overblown issue of, of Marvel team. up. If you were a fan of like the 1980s and you read a lot of Marvel team up, it's like Spider-Man just shows up and I don't know, Ghost Rider's there. Great. Let's have an adventure together. Great. Oh, I don't know. Can, can I take my umbrage yet with that? You prediction? can. Sure. All right. I, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to bring the umbrage. And this is because I read the Ultimate Spider-Man book, which is an awesome book, by the way. I, I highly recommend people check out the Ultimate Spider-Man series. But when Peter Parker died and Miles took over, Bendis did a really great job of tugging at those emotional heartstrings in the story. And then you have this you know, this follow-up, which is like a year later, and it's not just your standard team-up. I mean, there's parts of that, for sure. That's actually probably one of my favorite parts, is like with the Sarah Pacelli art, it reminded me of the Spider-Man versus Superman, or those big event crossover situations where like, you know, this is simultaneously a big deal and doesn't matter, it's just for the fun of it. But then Bendis takes the time to go through and say, well, Okay, if Peter Parker really did go into this alternative universe, you know, what would he do? And he stops by and he visits Aunt May and Gwen Stacy and he finds out about what's going on. He he locks eyes with Mary Jane and she runs off. And there's all those sorts of things in addition to the relationship that Peter has with Miles and figuring all that stuff out. Like there were just a lot of things in here that rewarded fans of the Ultimate Spider-Man series proper. I, I, I get that, I guess, a, a little bit. I mean, I, I, I won't lie. I read some of the Ultimate Spider-Man, but it was really hard for me because, again, I'm still a 616 guy. Like, that's that that's my Peter Parker. I didn't want to really start over again with, like, the other Ultimate. I never liked any of the Ultimate books, to be honest. Like, I was just like, I get it. Continuity is crazy in the 616. You just kind of deal with it. Or you just kind of gloss over it. You put a little, you know, sheen over your brain and you just keep moving forward. Like, like, I, I, I didn't really need any of my characters rebooted, but I got why they did it. And I'm sure that there was a lot of folks that enjoyed it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm really glad that Miles came out of it. Uh, as I've mentioned before, like, I think the best part about this is just the fact that Peter Parker and Miles meet and they have a little bit of a team up. And that's cool. But like, I will be honest, I like their team up more in Secret Wars. Like, they're they're much cooler in that one. They're like, it's the end of the universe, and two Spider-Men survive. As a Spider-Man fan, I'm like, hey, hey, only like six people survive, and two of them are Spider-Men. Awesome. <laughs> and it's one of those things that I wish would have happened more often, that I really do like their camaraderie in this a lot. And, it, and I'm not going to say that, like, one is, I want to say subordinate to the other. But, like, to me, it was, like, the kind of feeling that you got from reading a really good Batman and Robin story, right? Where, yeah, Miles might play the Robin part, but, like, at the same time, they were equals. They're partners. They're friends. They're just two Spider-Men that are hanging out together, if you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, I mean, Miles is a lot younger, so and he hasn't been, you know, around the block as much as Spider-Man is. So Spider-Man has not only age, but sort of that wealth of experience where Miles is, you know, the young whippersnapper that uh, has equal powers and, and, you know, sort of equal ability. But, you know, he's he's young. Young people 
they think they know the world, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Most times they don't. <laughs> yeah, Miles is definitely uh, you know finding his way in this book for sure. But I think the the big sell for this, in addition to the Peter and Miles meeting up, was just seeing the proper six one six Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe. And one of the things about Bendis, he was the perfect writer for Spider-Man. He had that whip snap dialogue, you know, that was perfectly suited for that character. And when he would write him in books like the new Avengers or things like that, he always handled Spider-Man really well, but Bendis never wrote the 616 Spider-Man proper. And so it was neat seeing him being able to take this and he never needed to because he had his own version, but like it, it was nice to see him play you know, with the toy that we're all familiar with. 616 Peter Parker interacting with the ultimate Nick Fury. And how fun was that scene where, you know, Nick Fury's interrogating him and Spider-Man's like, well, actually, and then the very next panel, 6,000 words all crammed into one. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff that writers weren't doing with Peter Parker, Spider-Man at the time. And it just, it fits. It was so great. I wanted to get J.A.'s thoughts on, uh, what is it, issue four? Of this series where it's like, again, the big thing where Peter Parker goes back and he visits the the Aunt May of that universe. And they have kind of like a little bit heart of heart, which is in like in some ways for me, like kind of an epilogue to the uh, ultimate universe's Peter Parker's death. Where, you know, basically Aunt May gets to finally heal and say like, there's a Peter Parker out there that's still okay. And he grew up and he was a nice boy, just like I raised him. Yeah, I liked it. I thought... Um... Gwen being there was a little bit odd only because they, that was my, my question was going to be was what age is 616 Peter Parker in this? You know, he is he supposed to be in his 30s? Is he late 20s? Is he? Yeah, I guess mid 30s. So, OK, so but he's he's become a man. He's grown into himself. And so his relationship with Aunt May, I thought, was very adult. But Gwen is supposed to be a kid there. She's like a high school student. And so that kind of was a bit jarring. I thought it wasn't written as good as it could have been. Maybe remove Gwen from that and and it's a much more powerful moment. I'm glad you brought that up because I know it was supposed to mean something, but that was actually a creepy part of this book is where like he locks eyes with like the teenage Mary Jane. And I'm like, no, dude, you're in your 30s. Like, you shouldn't be looking at teenage Mary Jane. I'm sorry. Like, I get it that that's your soulmate, I guess, in, in all the universes. But, like, that was still weird. You're not teenage Peter Parker with teenage Mary. That No. No, that's just weird. All right. I will stick up for him here because I don't think he had romantic intentions in any of these interactions. I thought Peter Parker handled himself well. And it was just about the discovery of, oh, there's this other universe where, like, all my friends are teenage versions of themselves and you want to find out like, okay, well, what's Mary Jane doing or what's, you know, what's flash Thompson like, or, you know, you're seeing Gwen and this isn't the Gwen that he knew. This is, you know, she's goth. And is, is, is the Gwen that he knew dead? No, right? she's still dead. Yeah. 616 okay. Gwen is so still that's, dead. that's, if she uh, was dead, I, I would think him seeing Gwen would have been much more impactful than was. It was kind of like, Oh, Hey, little sis, girl, friend that died that I couldn't save and majorly changed my life yet you're not dead but well, so, so to, com- to compare this to a book that we have read recently I didn't think it was anywhere near as creepy as the Clint Kate Bishop relationship in Hawkeye like I, I never it's saw not creepy that's just adult uh, that, 
that one made me queasier than this. I didn't see Peter Parker trying to hit on people. And I thought, if anything, there was that extra layer of awkward where one, he's finding about his friends, you know, as teenagers. And then Gwen is asking questions. Mary Jane gets to be a model. What happens to me? And then Peter Parker's like, oh, I, I should talk about this. Like, how do you tell somebody? Green Goblin throws you off a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Because he sees it. It's like, you're Gwen Stacy, right? Is She's supposed to be dead, and that's supposed to be some, you know, fundamental moment in your life. But it wasn't written like that. It was just kind of like, oh, you're young, and you're Gwen Stacy. Not, oh, wow, you're the girlfriend that I couldn't save. Yeah. Right. And you're alive. So I don't have to, or, you know. <laughs> it's all multiversal hijinks. It's all fun and games until uh, Gwen brings up Norman Osborn and Kitty Pride, <laughs> Which was so cool. Kitty Pride dating Peter Parker, that's a book I would have read. Doesn't doesn't Iceman live with them for a little while too? Like isn't Eventually, yeah. Uh Firestar too? Do we get it's, a it's human torch actually? <laughs> it's the so it's the it was the original Amazing Friends before they couldn't get the rights to human torch. Hey, what we what we got next is our rating for Spider-Man. Uh JA, what's our rating scale for this particular book this week? Uh because it was a little bit of a plot point, we're gonna go one out of four web shooters. Okay, I like that. So we're going to go ahead and start off with our, our resident Spider-Man aficionado. That would be Chad Smith. Chad, what are you giving Spider-Man, the original? So I will say I read this whenever it came out, and I honestly wasn't as much of a fan. It felt kind of incomplete, and I wanted a meteor story. But fast forward, good golly, however many years it is. I sat down. I read this in one sitting. It was super fast. And I feel like I appreciated it more for what it was. And we have not gushed enough about the Sarah Pacelli art in here. It is gorgeous. And not only is it gorgeous, her panel layouts, she has that style that almost felt reminiscent to me of like the 1970s Spider-Man comics with the bigger panels. And just, I, I, I loved all of that stuff. So do I wish there was more meat on the bone or Mysterio's plan made more sense? Yeah, I do. Do I wish that sometimes Bendis would have focused more on those minute details? And like, there were a lot of times where he was just happy to gloss over stuff and just be like, it's comic books, deal with it. So because of that, those notes, I'll dig it. But the second time I read it, I had so much fun with it. I'm going to say 3.75 web shooters. All right. I'll, I'll go next and, and I'll, we'll leave J.A. for last. I'm going to give this actually a 2.75 web shooters. I'm going to give it that because I feel like there's not a lot here other than Miles Morales and Peter Parker joining up. I mean, there's some good moments. Like, I won't lie, tugged at the heartstrings when he's talking with uh, Aunt May and she says, I made all the right choices and everything like that. Those were really good moments. There's some great dialogue between Miles and Peter. To my point about them being like, you know, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson of the Marvel Universe. That feels natural. That feels right. These two people should hang out together. They understand each other. And, you know, I think the worst part about it is when they were fighting. Oh. You know, it doesn't last for very long. But at the end of the day, there's like, there's not really a villain. Most of the time, there's not really conflict. It's really kind of talky. And kind of really setting up other things that would come later. Like, again, you read this. Go read Secret Wars. 
which, you know, basically kind of expands on the relationship between Peter Parker and Miles Morales as they're, you know, saved from the universe imploding and they get to team up and do some cool things together in that series. I think, I guess, I'm not going to give it less than, you know, a two because this is good for people that haven't read a lot of Spider-Man. Like, if you need an introduction, great, read this. It gives you everything you need, and then you can read either Peter Parker or Miles Morales. It's a good starting point for folks that want to get into the Spider-Man universe. And, and I like the Sarah Pacelli art. I will say this. I like the Marcos Martin art more. That's an unfair judgment. Marcos Martin is great, too, just in a whole different way. I don't know. I got like an alternate cover or something with the Marcos Martin. I was like, oh, I, I like Marcos Martin. Where's his art? Oh, is that wrong for me to say? I totally disagree, but I mean, you, you can have your opinions. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to agree with you a little bit that it sort of sets up other stuff. I found myself reading this and wanting to have the backstories or the, the things they were talking about. Like, oh, I want to see the Kitty Pride Peter Parker stuff. Or I want to know what Miles Morales in the 616 is. And what's that cliffhanger at the end of the book where he Googles Miles Morales and he sees something and he says, oh, my gosh. And, and then it stops. I was more interested in basically all the setups or the backstories than the actual story itself. That being said, the story was fun. It, it was quite easy to read. I think it's approachable. I could hand this to either of my children who don't have a lot of history of reading uh, Spider-Man comics and only know Spider-Man from the films, and they would totally enjoy it and get it. So I, I can't ding it too much. It's it's almost like a nice appetizer. That's what it is. It's like a good appetizer. It's like stringy uh, fried cheese. This is the mozzarella sticks of Spider-Man. So I'm going to be at three. It's a solid three web shooters that are shooting mozzarella sticks. That's, that's actually good. That's a good visual because that's what it looks like sometimes. Melty cheese. In fact, it's making me hungry. I was going to say, before we go too far, I agree with Andy. I would not recommend Spider-Man 2, where they find out what Peter Parker found out when he Googled. And it's actually really stupid. What is it? Spoiler alert for Spider-Man 2. The, the Miles of the 616 universe has wiped himself off of the map. And so Peter Parker never should have found anything when he Googled Miles Morales from the 616 universe because he was actually a criminal in league with the Kingpin and helped Kingpin early on in his Kingpinery. And then as a result, the Kingpin was like, because you've helped me so much, I'm going to help you get out of this and enjoy a normal life and we'll erase you from everywhere. So Peter Parker wouldn't have found squat. Yeah. Make sure that you go out to our Twitter page. I wrote a whole article on Spider-Man 2. I'm going to be posting it this week so you can check it out. But really, the worst thing about that book is it's not even a Spider-Man book. It's a Kingpin book. I don't know why they just didn't call it Kingpin. It made me so mad. It's like buying a, a tube of toothpaste and then finding out it's Preparation H. You're like, wait a second. I'm brushing my teeth with Preparation H. This yeah, is awful. It, it wasn't that bad, but it just isn't <laughs> something I'd recommend. <laughs> All right. Well, that's all the time we had for Spider-Man, right? Because, again, we can't watch the Spider-Man movie because it hasn't been released in the Philippines yet. So we can't watch this new Spider-Man movie and review that's right. it, right? The last comic shop. We're all for one and one for all. We're not going to watch this movie without our good pal J.A. That's so great. You guys are just so nice. But don't worry about it. I Just go watch it. I'll be fine. Really? Sure. I mean, I, I'm sure you could wait. <laughs> I guess they couldn't wait. 
Nice to know that I've got friends. We'll be right back after this commercial break with their review of the new Spider-Man movie. And I'm just going to go make myself a milkshake and eat some cheese sticks, I guess. Fun. Hello, everyone. My name is Dominic, and I want to tell you about the Comic Book Report. It's my YouTube channel where I review, unbox, discuss all things comic collected editions. I review so you can get an idea of what to read. So stop on by and tune in to the Comic Book Report only on YouTube. You can also find some of my promotional accounts on Instagram at the Comic Book Report and on Twitter at Comic Book RPT. That's for Comic Book Report. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, have a good one. Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. All right! We are back with the last comic shop and ho-ho! Wow, we just finished up that movie. All right, now J.A. Was... can't hear us, can he? I, I don't think so. He's in the other room making cheese sticks. I told him to put earmuffs on, you know, like the adults do. We're not going to do any swears, but spoilers are just as bad as swears, I feel, for some people, to be All honest. All right. Well, let's start with a, a spoiler-free, just quickie-quickie review for all the spider fans out there and then we can get into spoilers shortly thereafter okay fair enough so why don't you kick it off then what did you think chad so i think if you are a fan of the spider-man movies you saw in the trailers i'm sure about how they're bringing together all these villains from all these various movies and i think it not only is a fine fine john watts style spider-man movie just like Far From Home and Homecoming. But it also gives closure and endings for so many of those characters that you've seen across 20-some years now. It's definitely worth checking out. And I can definitely agree. Uh, This was the first movie since Endgame that I was really excited to see. And when we went to the movie theater, it was packed. And even in these these times of COVID and stuff, to see a movie theater that packed with uh, Marvel fans, I feel that that kind of fervor that I had about this movie was palpable among everybody that was there. Like, this was the event that a lot of people were waiting for. Big MCU blockbuster with characters that, I hate to say it, people give a damn about. I mean, we're talking about Spider-Man. No, I'm serious. Shang-Chi was was a fine movie. Eternals was, you know, a movie. It was okay. But again, those were characters that not a lot of folks knew. And it's good that you're, you know, you're bringing in some new blood and introducing some of the vast universe of that Marvel has to offer. But this is Spider-Man. This is the flagship character. More than the Avengers, more than the X-Men. This is the most important character that Marvel has. He's right up there with Superman and Batman in terms of overall importance as a superhero to pop culture. So people are going to want to see Spider-Man on the big screen to throw in not only Spider-Man, 
but to then throw in all of this history and this backstory and all these characters and just put it all it, again it just had like a an end game kind of quality to it and so i think you should just go see it just because it's an event like that again, oh yeah people it, were clapping in the theater and hooting and hollering right if you if you love marvel if you love good comic book movies you just go see it because again you're gonna get that same feeling that you did when avengers wrapped up their big humongous story arc as well so the big question i have now we are comic book aficionados and this is a comic book movie for sure do you think someone who has not seen all eight spider-man movies can show up and enjoy this movie Ooh, um your answer took too long the answer is yes this is like starting on issue 328 of a title and just figuring out as you go the they, answer is yes everyone can enjoy this exactly they give all the best villains it's not like they give like d-list villains in this they give you green goblin they give you dr octopus electro sandman they do make fun of the d-list villains they give you boomerang and you don't or stegron and you're like okay i don't know who these people are whatever all right so that being said we are done with our spoiler free part of this show so if you want to skip ahead about 12 to 15 minutes to the next commercial break you can check out our recommendations but now it is time for spoilers so if you haven't seen the movie stop put your earmuffs on go in the other room fast forward do whatever you need to do because we're going to say a lot of stuff and we're going to start off with 10 cent synopsis so what happens in this movie really hot off the heels uh from far from home where mysterio has just revealed peter parker's identity to the world at large j jonah jameson has blasted him on the tv screens and you see the repercussions as they unfurl in peter parker's life and it's not just peter's life that gets affected but there are helicopters and press and everybody swarming his apartment with Aunt May. Ned and MJ are denied admission into MIT because of their association with Peter Parker. And so because of that, he goes to Doctor Strange and he says, is there a way you can undo this? Once Doctor Strange begins the spell to make everyone forget Peter Parker's identity, Peter Parker finds a way to screw that up and eventually not just screw up the spell, but make it so that anyone in the multiverse who remembered his identity starts appearing. And so as a result of that, you get all these bad guys that pop in. You obviously, the probably the biggest spoiler, that you get to see the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, you get to see the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. And the big difference this time around is as all these Spider-Men are teaming up to take care of all these baddies, they decide that no, this time they're going to heal them. Uh, and a really touching moment. There obviously is a cost, um, and I'm rambling. I don't know. <laughs> what am I leaving out? I was going to say, I mean, when you know the one character that we all thought was going to show up in this movie and, and ultimately did, and that was Daredevil, or, or well, Matt Murdock. I mean, and it was exciting because this was like the same week talking about the Kingpin on the on the Hawkeye show. So to have Charlie Cox's Daredevil show up in the same week, I mean, Chad Tier turned to me and he said, "Oh, look, they got Daredevil right within 30 seconds when he catches a brick through the window." And he says, "Like I'm a very good lawyer." <laughs> but it, it had that joy. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. You know, not only did we get Charlie Cox's Daredevil, not only did we get all of these baddies, and they're the the best baddies. Like the William Defoe Green Goblin, 
one of my faves. Alfred Molina, Dr. Octopus, probably one of the best supervillains ever put on screen. His face turn after basically joined forces with the rest of the Spider-Man to be, in essence, the superior Spider-Man. Uh, to stand up against the baddies with them. Like, that was That's- awesome. That was a bit of a stretch with Superior Spider-Man, but I get where you're coming from. You get Thomas Hayden Church, who was wonderful as Flint Marco, uh, a.k.a. the Sandman. He comes back. Even characters like Jamie Foxx, who played Electro, got a really great turn in this, I felt. His character had just some teeth to him. Uh, Not the fake teeth that he had in the last movie. That's true. That was a big deal. And even the lizard didn't seem that bad from the original Amazing Spider-Man movie. But the showdown with Doctor Strange and Spider-Man and the Mirrorverse. And he's like, what's cooler than magic, math? That was a great scene. Gosh, I could just gush so much. Uh, Right. But I, I I was really impressed with this movie for a couple of reasons. One, I liken it to a lot of the Avengers movies, where if you look at the the plot of the first Avengers movie, it's not much. There's a hole that opens in the sky and and heroes punch aliens. Yeah. But that first Avengers movie was great because it was the first time you saw those characters sharing a universe and interacting together. And how cool was it, that scene where you first see all three Spider-Men hanging out in Ned's house. Yeah. And you've got uh, Tobey Maguire in his cool youth pastor outfit. <laughs> but, the, but not only does this movie have those Avengers uh, level feels, also similar to Endgame, where Endgame by itself as a movie is, is a solid movie. But really what makes Endgame so special was it was the culmination of, was it 22 movies at the time? Yes. That had been building up over the course of a decade for this one big story. And they put so many little notes and fan service nods. It was so impressive how they did that. So not only do you get the magic of seeing these characters interact for the first time, but you're getting all that fan service. You're getting all the nods. You're getting the quips. You're getting the Spider-Man comparing web shooters. And <laughs> that scene where they're asking Toby McGuire, like, well, where do your webs come from? Like, We're just curious. We just want to know. We're not trying to insult you or anything. But they did all that. And the thing that was even more impressive, those eight movies happened across 20 years and three different universes, three different reboots. And they managed to find a way to not only respect all of those movies and fix a ton of stuff. I mean, they gave Doc Ock his face turn, Andrew Garfield. Boy, did they redeem his character in my eyes. And they let him make the big save. They let Tobey Maguire rescue Spider-Man from himself. Yeah. He's just ready to cave in to his, I, his darker demons. I, I want to really quickly just jump in on that because sincerely, like, how good was Tobey Maguire in this movie? Like, he had, like, almost like a Chris Evans, Captain America type, the elder statesman, the man that's going to say, all right, everybody calm down. Like, I'm here to help. And, yeah, he's and been through it. He's- and, and and to have that scene where he, he stops Tom Holland Spider-Man from killing the Green Goblin when he knows in his heart of hearts that, like, he's justified. This guy killed Aunt May. Like, he knows the rage and the got in that seat. And to him stand up and go, no. Oh, man. It just gave me feels. Like, I was like, Toby, 
you've got that gravitas, man. You've got it. No, I, I, I thought that was great. And I mentioned before, it also respects the Tom Holland movies. So much of this movie that I don't think people are talking enough about are how fun Ned and MJ are. Whenever Ned steals some uh, some magic materials from Doctor Strange and he's opening up portals, that was hilarious. Whenever Ned gets the cape, that was a shining moment. And like those characters all get their chance to shine. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it also gave Tom Holland a chance to shine. I love the scene where Tom Holland's like, "No, we have to work as a as a team." He's like, "I've been part of a team. I was part of the Avengers." Is that a band? Are you a fan? <laughs> we don't have them. No, I, I, it was awesome. And plus right. the fact, I'm not going to say it redeemed Tom Holland, but it brought Tom Holland's Spider-Man back to the roots. He's not running around with all this massive tech at the end of this movie. Nobody knows who he is. He's living in a cheap-ass apartment, and he made his own Spider-Man costume. Right. The classic blue and reds. Nothing fancy. Real classic. And that just like, if you're going to do three more movies with Tom Holland, that's a perfect reset button that makes sense and allows the character to grow from here. Yeah, he's uh, no longer Tony Stark Jr. He no longer has the, the Tony Stark tech that heals everything all the time. And he has that sadness that Spider-Man should have. He has that burden of knowing, oh, I could go and, and talk to MJ or I could talk to Ned, my best friend's. But he doesn't, you know, there's a, there's a cost to his power. There's a cost to what he has to do. He doesn't want his friends to have to pay that cost. And I will say this, that, um, this movie in some ways mirrors some events that happened in the 616. As again, we're a comic podcast, so we're going to talk about, you know, this and parallels to kind of, I think it was one moment in time, which was the story that tried to explain what happened between one more day and brand new day and how everybody forgot who Spider-Man was and everything like that. And a similar thing happens in which Dr. Strange casts a spell and Peter grabs Mary Jane and holds her so that she doesn't forget. But at the same time, like I feel like this particular story, unlike what happened in one more day and then one moment in time, this was so much cleaner. To reboot the character, to reset the character, to bring him back to his roots, I feel like this movie did a better job of that than even the 616. By far, it did a better job than the comics, because not only does it clear the table, it also told entertaining stories. Like, the 616 comics, when you were reading One More Day or uh, One Moment in Time, you could tell, like, those were machinations. They were trying too hard to reset things, reboot things, and it really wasn't a satisfying story. And here, they managed to pull out all the multiversal things that made this that much more entertaining. And you have those nods to all the other stuff they didn't even bring in. Like when Electro is like, oh, you know, you got that cool suit. You're helping out poor people. I thought you were black. (laughs) That was great. Now, I I will say I I don't want to just totally praise the movie because there were some things that I thought if you stop and think about for a little bit, it, it wasn't perfect. I will say because of the size and scope of the movie, everything just seems too easy. It starts off with that Doctor Strange magic spell where it's like, well, you can just magic something. What's the point in struggling or or working hard to do stuff? But other things like when all the Spider-Man come together, 
Like, I love the thought of, we can't send these guys back to their universes where they're going to die. They're like, all right, well, let's go work in the lab for 15 minutes. You got it? I got it. Okay, I got this one. You're good. Let's go. And even the other things, like, when they all meet, they all just take off their masks right away and, like, are you Peter Parker? I'm Peter Parker. How are you? (laughs) Admittedly, the movie has a fairly long runtime, which I didn't feel, but, like, they didn't take the time to flesh a lot of things out. No, I can agree with that. As much as MJ and Ned were kind of important to the story, the love affair between Peter and MJ in this, it gets glossed over a little bit. It it kind of gets shuffled to the background. She's off screen a lot of the time. She's not really with Peter. He's kind of mixing it up with the baddies for a little while. And and then after the other two Peter Parkers show up, she really takes a, a a little bit of a back seat. She's just kind of there in the background, and she, she she you know they have some good moments, but she's not like constantly in the picture. Which you know, and plus some of the bad guys. I mean, you can't spread all the love around. Of course, the Green Goblin is the one you're going to focus on, and I again, he was great. He, I don't even care that he like Goldberg power bombed four floors. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it. That- the theater went crazy for that spot. And it, and it shows how menacing, you know, and what I loved about the, the, the Norman Osborne in here is the fact, like in the comics, is just trying to push Peter. He wants Peter to come over the dark side with him. He wants him to be his quote unquote son and follow in his footsteps. So he's like, why you keep on doing all this nice stuff, Peter? You should be bad like me. I'm only doing oh. bad stuff to push you so that you're bad like me. It's a different feeling than you get from, like, Batman Joker. Willem Dafoe just slid right back into that role. Right. And handled the sad, pathetic Norman Osborn so well, and then the menacing Norman Osborn. Like, you could see the range and, like, it's just so impressive. And considering that it's been 20 yeah. years. You could say the same thing about Alfred Molina, too, because he, he slipped right back into that Doc oh. Ock role. And at the end, it was almost like a tale of two Peter Parker dads because, like, Doc Ock became, like, the good dad, right? I, I believe in you, Peter. I believe in the power of science and the power of healing and what you're doing is great and I'm going to help you do this. And, oh, Toby and him have that moment where he's, like, a meeting of the minds, like a true mentorship like he should have had with Norman. Ah, I could just, gosh, but we don't have a lot of time. We got to get J.A. back right. in here. So real quickly. Okay, skipping over into final thoughts. Um, I, I turned to, to Andy after we saw the movie, and I said, I would be okay if this is the last Spider-Man movie they ever make. And I, I totally mean that. They managed to fix every complaint you would have with the Spider-Man movies prior they managed to provide closure where we needed closure. And honestly, like once they're done and they set the table again where Spider-Man's in his classic comic costume, he doesn't have money, he's no longer Tony Stark Jr., but I don't know where you go from here. Like, how do you tell another Spider-Man story now that you've literally pulled out all the stops from three universes in 20 years? You're going to go back to him punching Craven? <laughs> Oh, no, there's ideas. Maybe go Black Cat. That's what you have the opportunity. He's free of MJ. He can meet Black Cat, kind of do a little bit of that. And if you bring in Kingpin and then you tie in the Daredevils and and some of the other MCU street level stuff, come on, have some street level Spider-Man for once. 
Cosmic. I get you. It was a great way to close out this era of, of Spider-Man, this era of comic book movies. And the thing that it had on Endgame was Endgame was the culmination of 20-some movies, but those movies were designed to be a continuous story. I mean, sure, there were little things here and there that they, you know, they'd have to patch over along the way. But the Spider-Man franchise was not designed to be one continuous thing. Like, they were three very separate universes with three very separate goals. Uh, and to sew all that together so well, I just, I can't sing the praises of this movie enough. So, uh, are we rating it? Are we, yeah! Uh, out of four? Okay, I'm going to say, ah, forget it, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah! I, I for the small stuff, but this, it really was uh, just so great. Yes, it's a four. It's a four movie. It's, it's arguably... In the top five Spider-Man movies, I, I, I don't know exactly where it is. It could be close to the top, and it's really hard not to say Spider-Man 2 still isn't the best. But, I mean, this movie, as I mentioned in the opening, felt like Endgame to me because it felt like a comic book. To have all the different characters. What, that's what I love about Marvel. That's what I always loved, is people would show up in each other's books all the time, and it was such a shared universe. And you got that here. Whether it was Doctor Strange, whether it was uh, Matt Murdock showing up to defend him why do you take the case who cares they glossed over it but it didn't matter because you know matt mardock defends the superheroes you know that intrinsically you don't need it explained you had all the baddies and all the best baddies you even had venom at the end and the post-credit sequence which i had to kind of think about because i want to know how he knows there's a peter parker because everybody that was pulled through knew spear parker was spider-man that's how the spell worked. So therefore, Tom Hardy must know a Peter Parker somewhere. That's the only way it makes sense. How else would he be pulled through the universe? Doesn't or make sense. you're just thinking too much and they have a Venom <laughs> franchise. Ah, whatever. But it was great. Four out of four. You know where they go from there? I want to see Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Honey Picture. That's what I want to see. I want to see them two oh. team up. I want them to cast a, a live version, Miles Morales. Bring him in. Let's do Spider-Verse. Come on. Let's go for it. All out. I don't even care if they bring in Moreland. Do it. Just do it. I want to see more Spider-Man hanging out. That's what I want to see. In any case, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with our recommendations for Christmas. We've got recommendations for each other. Make sure that you get out there and see this new Spider-Man movie. It is great. Stay tuned. Did the Iron Fist Netflix series leave a bad taste in your mouth? Are you caught up in the hype of Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings? Have you ever wondered what these characters' true origins and adventures are like, but you don't have the time to read through hundreds and hundreds of issues? Then subscribe to the deadly podcast of Kung Fu, where I, JVD, traverse the continuity of Marvel's most prolific martial artists in Iron Fist and Shang-Chi. Each week, I break down a story arc and discuss the good and the bad within the pages to save you hours of reading through comics so you can focus on the best of which each character has to offer. New episodes drop every Wednesday for you to listen to on your way to your local comic book shop to pick up your pull list. Alright, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop and it is now time for our recommendations. And because it's our Christmas episode of The Last Comic Shop, we're going to do a little bit of something special for all of our fans. Well, actually... It's kind of special for us. In, in the spirit of holiday cheer, we're going to give gifts <laughs> to each other. And these gifts are going to be comic books that we should read. So instead of recommendations for fan, it's like recommendations for the other guys. 
Yeah, these guys. These guys on this show. Where's J.A.? Is he back with his cheese sticks yet? Mm, that was good. You didn't hear anything, right? You had the earmuffs on, right? You didn't hear any of us talking about Spider-Man, right? I was just eating my cheese sticks. I have no idea. Oh, good. Well, we are going to do our Christmas recommendations to each other. Why don't you start off with, I think you pulled my name this year, so what's the recommendation of a comic book series I should read? So I'm going to recommend something a little bit out of left field, or I should say out of the future. Now, this is a comic series that I got a couple of back in the day when it was first coming out, and I I think you probably read the first issue uh, because I had it. And this is Spider-Man 2099, Ooh. the original, not 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 the reboots, not the stuff that came out in the uh, in the aughts. I went 92 to 94 original run. They've got it out in trades now of Spider-Man 2099. You know, it's full on futuristic flying cars. It's like Spider-Man meets Coruscant. <laughs> Essentially that. Anything that deals with the Phantom Menace, you're not really selling yourself for me. But I, I, you're right. I haven't read a lot of that series. And some of these issues are supposed to be really, really good. I, what was it? Written by Peter David? And it's got yeah. what? The Rick Leonardi art? It's so shocking good, man. Wait till you get there with the future slang. No, I love that book. That's great stuff. Oh, the Miguel O'Hara. Absolutely. Now, I, I I, will make this a 2022 New Year's resolution that I will read the entire series of Spider-Man 2099. Really? There's a lot. Yes. Of got a four, lot of four, four years of comics. So, And this is back when they actually put comics out on a monthly basis. Okay. I only made it up to issue 25. I wanna... See, what? now I got to beat Chad's record. I'm going to read all of it. I will read all of it, and I will come back on The Last Comic Shop at some point in 2022 with my review of the entire series. I also think it's it's timely, because if, if anyone has seen the uh, the trailer for the next Spider-Verse movie, he's in it. So I'll be ahead of the curve. Absolutely. And how cool is that costume? That has to be one of the coolest costumes to come out of 90s comics. Yeah, I Much- think it's... It's the only one that's stuck, right? All the other 2099s didn't really, they weren't so great. Well, who do they got to compare to? Ravage 2099? Please. You look like a hobo. <laughs> Anyways, I think then we've got Chad. You picked uh, J.A.'s uh, name. So what's your recommendation for J.A., Chad? Okay, so my recommendation is something more recent. It just wrapped up within the last month. But I know J.A. is a big fan of the sword and sorcery genre. Um, I know he's a big fan of folks like Oro Monroe. Uh, and so I want something that combines those things. And so I'm going to go with Care Andrews' amazing fantasy miniseries. And the best part, unlike however many issues Spider-Man 2099 was, this was only five issues, Joe. Really awesome art, and the, the premise of the story is they pluck various Marvel superheroes from various time periods. You get Captain America from World War II. You get Spider-Man from his teenage years. You get a younger Black Widow, and they're all dropped in on this uh, this island. I don't know what's going on, uh, and they have to figure it out from there. And I'll be honest, I still have to finish it. But I read the first couple, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's all swords and sorceries and barbarians and Captain America running around in a loincloth. I love it. I just pulled up the the cover of the first issue, and it's 
Captain America with a beard and a battle axe on top of uh, a lion like he's He-Man. Right. Check out the cover for number four with uh, Storm. You're going to love it. No, I, and the best part about that series is it's coming out in treasury format. So, like, you can read it with the big extra size pages. So although that format hasn't been released yet, if you read it and you really enjoy it, you can eventually get it at treasury size, which is kind of what I'm waiting for. I, I hope to, to actually cover that book in 2022 on our show. So maybe you'll get a head start. I think it sounds great. I'm loving these covers. Well, my gift to Chad is actually a gift that Chad is giving to me. You're one of those gifters. I see. Ah. You give the gift that you want. That's true. But in any case, Chad has, out of the kindness of his own heart and his kind of obsession with going through dollar bins, has decided to help me fill in all of my gaps in my ROM, the Space Knight collection. So my gift to Chad is that he should read all 75 issues of ROM, the Space Knight. I think there's two annuals, too. But basically, the entire run of Rom the Space Knight from the 1980s, because it's not just one of those licensed tie-in comic books. It is a tour de force. Uh, If you don't walk away from Rom the Space Knight, Chad, after reading the 75 issues and feel a grave injustice has been done to you with the fact that, like, Rom can't exist in the Marvel Universe then there's something seriously wrong with you, I feel. Because, wait, like, wait, 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 wait. I'm hitting the pause button. You want me to read 77 issues of a book that once I'm done, I'll be like, this is a grave injustice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it is so wonderful. Bill Mantlo is at his peak. He gets to write from issue one through issue 75. He gets to write the entire epic from beginning to end. And most of it has Sal Bushima art. And you love Sal Bushima. This wonderful story of, you know, Rom the Space Knight, one of the first Space Knights from the planet of Galador, and how he gave up his humanity to fight the Dire Wraiths, and how he comes to Earth, and at first he's, like, destroying people, and they think he's a bad guy, but then he finds the love of this hill woman, (laughs) Brandy Clark from West Virginia, and it's kind of like a... A very chivalrous love, like right because he's trapped in his I, 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 I don't know if you're selling this or not. <laughs> but it's wonderful. He interacts with so many folks. Like he interacts with the X-Men and with Doctor Strange. And there's an issue with Shang Chi. And there's an issue with uh, the Avengers and with Better Ray Bill and all these. And Rick Jones, I've been buying them for you out of dollar bins when I see them. That's right. So not only are you getting these these issues for me and we again we're going to continue to update folks that listen to the last comic shop as to where we are in our collection because we're going to try to get them all in buck bins if possible <laughs> not spending more than a dollar on any of these maybe issue one that's it but anyways because i read them all my brother's collection and so like at this time like once i have my own collection i feel like you should read them because it's a really great series again it's probably one of the best licensed tie-in comic books that were ever it was ever made and that's really saying something when you can you know you have like the larry hama gi joe and even bill mantlow's uh work on micronauts but rom is really special all right, I'll give it a shot. I guess I have a lot of issues I have to find now. <laughs> who, who owns the uh, ROM Space Knight license at the moment? Hasbro. Oh. Yes. I think IDW came out with a series 
Yeah, the guy that was running IDW, Chris Ryle, or Chris Ryle, however you say his name, he was the big ROM guy, but then he left, and they haven't done much with ROM since. Right, because I was thinking, is there any chance for a ROM Space Knight omnibus? See, that's what we've all been waiting for. That's why there's people like me running through dollar bins to get the issues, because it's the only way we can read it right now. It's like if you get the original issues. There's no omnibus, there's no trade paperbacks, there's no nothing. You have to either get the single issues, or you can't read Rom the Space Knight, and that's unfortunate. But um, yeah, it was originally a Parker Brothers action figure, and then they... they they gave it to Marvel, and, and and Marvel owns the rights to everything else, just not Rom the Space Knight. Like, they own the rights to Dire Wraiths, and I think they can even say Space Knights. Like, yeah, they, they can, have Space Knights in Marvel. And, and, and any of the other characters that Bill Mantlo came up in terms of supporting characters. In fact, it, it, there's an issue where Rom shows up in his human form at uh, Rick Jones's bachelor party. Uh, in the Incredible Hulk series. So, like, I mean... Oh, that's a great issue. The Rick Jones bachelor party. I I probably didn't even get the ROM reference. But ROM Since is... there's no ROMnibus. Oh. Very cool. I'll definitely check it out. It's something I've been me- meaning to read uh, once we got everything collected there for you. But uh, I guess we'll have to speed that up now. Thanks. Merry <laughs> Christmas and all that. Yeah. Read this book that you're buying for me. <laughs> <laughs> it gives him extra incentive, right? He's giving so that I can give back to him. It's it's a symbiotic relationship. And uh, we hope that you have a symbiotic relationship with us here at The Last Comic Shop every single week by rate reviewing and subscribing to our terrific podcast. 2022 is coming right around the corner and we've got brand new episodes for you all next year. So make sure that you uh, go out to our, our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com and you can find our links to all of those terrific podcasting services where you can find our show, including YouTube. And while you're out there, you know, listening to our show and whatever, make sure that you leave us a Christmas present this year by leaving us a five-star review. It's the best way for other folks to find our podcast. There you go. And while I don't think I would have chosen the word symbiotic relationship in either of these cases to use, I will say, if you want to talk to us, you can check us out on the socials, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Last Comic Shop, uh, where you can check out our Wednesday polls, our daily comic book factoids, and all other sorts of manner of fun comic book stuff that we post each week. And you can find links to all of this on our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where we also have a link to our merch store. And uh, just for the holiday season, if you need to buy somebody a gift that you forgot about, we still have a special on our Christmas-themed Last Comic Shop t-shirt. It won't be hanging around for very much longer, so make sure you get in and uh, get your discount and, and buy that present for that boss and or neighbor that you forgot about and there you go and while we may be the last comic shop podcast we don't want to be the last comic shop out there so we encourage everybody to go to the comic shop locator www.comicshoplocator.com where you can find a shop near you where you might pick up some spider-man not spider-man 2 or you might pick up some spider-man 2099 perhaps some amazing fantasy by care andrews or maybe you want to go in those back issue bins and search out your own collection of Rom the Space Knight. All that and more is waiting for you at your local comic shops. All right. And until next week, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith. Make sure that you go out and watch Spider-Man No Way Home. It's in your theaters now, unless, of course, you live in the Philippines. Then you'll have to wait for January. I think that's when it's coming out there. So maybe J.A. can give us his review when he eventually sees it. But until then... 
stay safe, stay sheltered, and make sure you don't ask for a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas, because you'll shoot your eye out! Maybe you'll get one of those lamps, those legs. Jilly. Italy. <laughs> it's a prestigious award. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Stay cheery, everybody. Happy holidays. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. <laughs>